You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. We all fantasize about the ideal, don't we? <laughs> don't we? Don't you have? How many of you single people have fantasized about your ideal woman or ideal man? Y'all are liars. <laughs> you, you know you have a checklist. He's got to be this tall. He's, he's got to look this way. Or for guys, she's got to look this way and, and so on and so forth. We all have this ideal image of what we want in a man or in a woman. Well, I mean, that goes not only in terms of attraction or what we want in the ideal person, but let's say for those of you who are in college, if you're in college, give me a whoop whoop. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Have you ever fantasized about, let's say you're not doing too hot right now, okay? Sorry if I'm making it too real for you. <laughs> but let's say, have you ever fantasized about just totally kicking butt all semester and scoring top grades, and your professor is like, oh, my goodness, you teach the class. You're scoring top grades. You're get, you, even, you applied into grad school, and you got into the most prestigious grad program, and then not only that, you have the sweet job lined up for you at the end that pays you six figures. Have you ever fantasized about that? Thinking, oh, if I could only do this. Time to turn Netflix off, Right? Or how about if you're a working professional? Have you ever fantasized about doing so well in your field that you get recognized immediately by your higher-ups, even though you've been working for a month there? Right? And they immediately promote you to the head of the department, the head of the region, and then let's say, sadly, something happens to the CEO and everyone who, and everyone's just sad, right? But then everyone who loves you and they respect you and they're chanting, we want you to be our CEO. We want you to be our CEO. It's the worst chant in the world, I know. But they're saying, we want you to be our CEO. Have you ever fantasized about that? You start from the entry level and all of a sudden you become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Or how about after slugging away in the workforce for decades, you finally see retirement nearing? The place where the grass is green, where the sun never stops shining. Endless rounds of golf. Ah, yes. Finally, peace. Retirement. I can stop now. The dream of an ideal or utopia continues to be planned deep in our hearts. Even for me as a pastor, I fantasize about speaking like Charles Spurgeon and of our church growing like crazy, where we have awesome sound and media tech to support all our amazing events, where we impact our city and we plant churches all around the nation and we commission missionaries out into the foreign worlds and the list goes on and on and on. May for some of you guys, your ideal or your utopia really has nothing to do with any of that kind of stuff like wealth or prestige or recognition or anything like that. Maybe it hits just something a little bit more intimate, more, a bit deeper for you. Maybe your ideal is just happiness in your relationship. I would love to just not have an argument with her or with him for this week. I would love to stop screaming at my kids and just be patient with them. I would love for my husband or for my wife to look at me the way they did the first time we met. Oh, what I wouldn't have to just get those butterflies back. 
I want to have a restored relationship, marriage, whatever you want to call it, with this person. We all have paradise engraved in our hearts. The, the ideal, a utopia where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more confusion, no more misunderstanding, no more tears, no more stress, no more sin, just peace and joy and gladness and utter bliss. Don't you want that? You know, a man, he found himself wondering whether there was any golf courses in heaven. And so he even began to ask that question in his prayers. One day, his, in answer to his prayers, he received a direct answer from on high. Yes, we do, said the heavenly messenger. There are many excellent golf courses in heaven. The greens are always in first-class condition. The weather is always perfect, and you always get to play with the most incredible, sincere, and nice people. Oh, thank you, said the man. That really is marvelous news. Yes, isn't it, said the messenger, and we got you down for a foursome next Saturday. I don't have time to explain these jokes. Make no mistake. We have paradise engraved on our hearts. We just defer on what it would take to make it a reality. And well, I bring all this up because I believe in our text this afternoon addresses the root of this longing in us, this idea, this desire, this yearning for completion, for perfection, for enjoyment, for bliss, for utopia. And explains this text explains why it's there and how it might ever be satisfied. So just to jog your memory, because we've been in Genesis for the past three, four weeks now, we've talked about a couple ideas of how creation came to be. One view was the materialistic view, which is essentially evolution. This view denies the idea of creation and that there is no creator God. This view believes that the entire universe as it now exists came into existence out of nothing. Somehow that something came out of nothing in an evolutionary process through billions of years and somehow has mutated into the intricate and into the complex and vast universe of today. Moralistically from this view, you and I, we are just products of random chance with no conceivable purpose but to simply be. The second thought is that we had this idea of theistic evolution, which means that, that God does exist, or a God of some sort, and he launched the process of evolution. Then he took a step back because, you know, primordial slime is icky. And essentially, it's the evolutionary process with some divine assistance. Here you go. Let me go ahead and roll the ball for you. The last possibility is divine creation, which affirms that God is eternal. He's all-wise and he's all-powerful. He is self-existing, self-sustaining, and without any aid of evolution, he made the universe completely during his creative six days. And that is what our church believes. The Bible teaches that there's no such thing as chance or random selection. The Bible teaches us that you are not a purposeless, accidental creature of time plus energy, but one who was created and formed and known before we were born. Jeremiah 1.5, hallelujah. Before you were born, the Lord knew you. Why do I say all this? Because all of life, all your understanding of life, it starts right here. We cannot live our Christian lives and, and we definitely can't seek after God or who God is if we question, if we question the authenticity, the inerrancy, and the authority of the Bible. You know, we're a Bible-believing church, amen? 
the one who stands upon the gospel of Christ. But let me tell you all something here. Christianity doesn't begin with accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Say what? No. <laughs> Some people are like, what? It begins with accepting God as creator. So as you read or as you reread through Genesis or really all of Scripture, you must read in faith and believe that God is God and creator of all. Without this belief firmly established in your life, you'll notice how you begin to question everything. Not in a I want to know more type of way, but you'll begin to question the credibility and the character of God, especially the important gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, I got a couple of points to make today. Our first point is this. That God, he takes great pleasure and delight in his creation. That God, he takes great pleasure and great delight in his creation. So how did I get this point? It doesn't explicitly say that in these three verses, but we have some word study here. In what sense did God rest on the seventh day? Normally rest has something to do with taking a break from hard work, right? Taking a break from hard work. We're tired from our labor. How many of you guys are tired after a long week? You guys are exhausted. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. <laughs> We're tired. We're tired from our labor. We're weary. And so what do we do if you're tired? You take a break. Right? You take a break. We rest. We go on vacation. You go apple picking. You do whatever you need to do. You hit the spa. Right? We get rest. So is this what this is saying here? That God, he hit a spa afterwards? That after six days of creative, creative activity, God was like, oh my me. That was hard. Hey, angels, I need some me time right now. Was God in need of catching his breath? Was he so weary that on the seventh day that he rested, that he had to take a nice little siesta? That's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. God, he doesn't get tired because he's omnipotent, all-powerful. God, he doesn't need a break because he is eternal. So what does it mean for God to have rested? The word to rest here means to cease. Turn to your neighbor and say cease. So that on the seventh day, God, he ceased from his work. But is that, is that really all it means, that he just stopped? Was God inactive? Did God do nothing else? Did nothing else happen on the seventh day? Was it like, and on the seventh day, God did nothing, and he blessed the doing of nothing, of his hollow nothingness? No, I don't think that happened either. What was God doing then? He was enjoying the completed work of his hand. Remember, God, he didn't just quit and give up. He finished, and then he began to enjoy in his finished work. You know, I play blocks with Ada. And let me tell you all something. If I were a real architect, all of my buildings would be uninhabitable and soon come crashing down. But as an architect of kids' blocks, my creations are impressive. They are truly impressive. Sometimes my daughter will just watch in awe. She'll have a little pile, but she'll just stop to watch in awe as I attempt to use every other piece available. And it's no easy task because some of these block pieces weren't meant to be built upon. There were just these weird shapes. And yet sometimes I'll do it. I'll fix it and I'll make it high and I'll make it strong. Well, after I'm done, what do I do? I sit back 
and I grab my daughter and I have to hold her because I know what she's been wanting to do since the moment I began building. <laughs> and together, as I stray jacket her, we enjoy the splendor of my creation. <laughs> then I release the Kraken and she goes Godzilla on it. <clears throat> That's not the point. God ceased in his creation, but it wasn't he didn't do anything. No, he enjoyed his creation because his work was a delight to him. It was amazing to see the work of his hands that had never existed before that time. And how refreshing must have been, how awesome and how delightful and how well-pleased God must have been to see the created universe free from sin, free from decay, free from curse, free from death, no brokenness. He just saw clear blue skies. He saw sparkling diamond stars. He saw the brilliance of the bright blazing hot sun. He saw the depths of the oceans through crystal clear water without pollution. He saw white sand stretching for miles. He saw beautifully colored flowers. He saw huge majestic trees, graceful birds flying through the air, amazing animals walking the earth without any fear. Can you imagine for a moment how much God must have delighted when he walked through the Garden of Eden and he fellowshiped with man, the pinnacle of his creation. Can you imagine the immense joy and gladness God must have felt when he walked with Adam and his wife Eve? What a delight it must have been. His creation, perfection. You could just see his smile. His brilliance just radiating. Oh, how much I find such satisfaction in what I have done and in you, Adam, and in you, Eve. Not only does God take eternal pleasure in and of himself, after all, he is the embodiment of true joy, glory, and satisfaction, but he takes pleasure in the work of his own hands because, get this, through his creation, he saw the product of his own goodness. Through his creation, he saw the manifestation of his own glory. Have you ever seen the Grand Canyon? Have you ever seen the beauty of a sunset? Why is it that when we stand before these amazing and beautiful displays of nature, our mouths are just open, our jaws drop, and we just stand there in awestruck silence? Why is that the only res appropriate response when we see the splendor of nature is that we can only say, oh, that was amazing. It was awesome. That's incredible. It's beautiful. Why? Because his creation was made to display the manifestations of his glory. When you see the beauty of a sunset, you catch a glimpse of God. When you see the tall red oak trees, you see a glimpse of God. When you see the vastness of the Grand Canyon, you see, you catch a glimpse of God. God loved what he made. God, he made, God saw, and God said, it was good, and this is a part of me. People, I want to challenge you all with this, to step away from your computer from time to time. Step away from the game console. Step away from your book, from your work, from school, and just experience the creative manifestation of his glory. Go outside. Turn to your neighbor and say, go outside. <clears throat> now, here's my second point. And the application for us, really, this is it. 
God is calling us to enter his rest. If you want to interpret the Bible well, here's a little tip. Let scripture interpret scripture. Okay? While this afternoon's text is from the Old Testament and clearly in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it's actually profoundly explained in the New Testament. And the explanation of God's seventh day is that rest after creation essentially means that God is calling us to share in his rest. Turn to your neighbor and say, we have to share in his rest. Now, we also get an explanation in Exodus chapter 20 where God gives the Ten Commandments. We're going to read the fourth commandment. Bear, me, bear with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is what happened, people. God made perfection, and it was good. The sin had entered God's creation. And we'll see that in the next chapter. Now, God, he had transformed chaos into order. He had transformed darkness into lights of the universe. But now sin comes and threatened to plunge creation into chaos again. But by God's grace, he had given the law to the people, which was his plan for order, plan for preservation, and to guide their lives away from the chaos that was from the other nations who were opposed to God, and to bring them back to life of order and to life of relationship with him. And so here in the midst of that law, God, he provides a day for when they might be able to taste the sweetness of that rest. This is the rest that we all need that had been lost in the fall of man and sin. This was the rationale for the whole Sabbath observance for us to share in God's rest. Why are you so drained? You go on vacation, and the moment you come back from vacation, what do you say? I need a vacation. Don't you? How many of you guys have ever gone on vacation, and it was so wearisome? You said, I need a vacation from that vacation. It was just tiring. Why is it that you do your best, and you are successful, you do have accomplishments, you have great relationships, and yet for some reason, it's like you're pushing that, that stone up the hill. Why is it so tiring? Why is it so difficult? Why is it that you do everything you can as a husband, or as a wife, as a child, as a son or daughter, or as a mom or dad, but it seems like to no avail. It's just harder and harder and harder. Why is, there, why is it just so difficult? Because we live in this broken world filled with corruption, sin, and death. But God, in his grace, he gives us a little glimpse of rest. And that's why he gave a Sabbath. Look, we know what the uptight religious folks did back in the day. They made the Sabbath commandment of sharing in God's rest into a task. That's why they were offended when they saw Jesus' disciples picking some grain off the field as they walked through the fields and eating it. They hated when Jesus was healing the sick and healing the lame on Sabbath day. These guys were all about total inactivity. But we read in John chapter 5 of Jesus rebuking them and saying, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. In other words, Jesus saying, You completely misunderstood what it means for God to have rested on the seventh day. You Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You have completely misunderstood all that. You see, it's not about inactivity. It's about finding delight in God's providence. It's about finding delight in God's goodness. Sabbath day is about finding delight in God's work. It's about finding delight in God's kingdom and in God's people. Sabbath was a call to the people of God to share in the things of God. That is where you get rest, in the things of God. Not in the things of the world, not in the things of man, not in the things of the flesh, but in the things of God. So where does this rest come from? It doesn't come from strict Sabbath keeping. No, it comes from Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, it comes from Jesus. Jesus, who fulfilled every part of God's law on our behalf, we don't find rest in a what, we find rest in a who, Jesus. In Colossians 2, 16, 17, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is in Christ Jesus. God is giving his people a reminder of his perfect rest, which sin had destroyed. Resting for us means that we share in the opportunity to delight in what he delights in. Don't you want that? To delight in what God delights in. Now, we know that Sabbath is on a Saturday, right? For those of you who are a bit more biblically savvy. Sa right? Sabbath is on a Saturday, the last day of the week. Growing up, I always thought Monday was the first day of the week when I was little, like last year, right? But we come to church on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. I'm not sure as to why someone from somewhere at some time decided to give us those days off and call it a weekend. I'm not complaining. But I think we can tie it into our text today. So what does Sabbath mean? It means rest. And as Christians, we have service on Sunday, not Saturday. I'm not saying we're changing anything. But here's my challenge to you all as well as food for thought. So think about this. God rested on the seventh day saying it was good. He took that day of rest to delight in his creative work where he fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. And here's my challenge to you all. My challenge to you all is to make Saturday a segue into your Sunday worship. That means go and be with people. Be with your families. Go hiking. Enjoy the great outdoors. Go invite fellow church members for a barbecue or for just Saturday night dinner or a picnic. Go take a walk to the farmer's market and perhaps invite someone to church or better yet, invite them to the cross. But go out and take delight in what God has made but also in what God delights in and that's to remind us of the glorious days when man once knew God and where we loved his ways. Let Saturday be a day where it gives testimony to God as creator, and let Sunday be a day where it gives testimony to God as redeemer. You hear me? Let Saturday be a day where it gives testimony to God as creator, and let Sunday be a day where it gives testimony to God as redeemer. We gather on this Sunday, the first day of the week, to celebrate the Savior who through his death and the resurrection from the dead has brought us into this rest. We can search far and wide, brothers and sisters. You can do that. You can go from one relationship to another. We can attempt to make sense of all things in our lives, but true rest can only be found when you have peace with God, and that peace can only be given to us through Jesus Christ. 
While I have said that Saturdays and Sundays should represent the Sabbath, I want to challenge you all to make the whole week, know the whole month, know the whole year, know the whole life, your whole life about resting in Christ Jesus. We know that as believers, when we die, we will enter forever into the presence of God and in his rest. But until that day comes, while we still live here in this broken world, we can still live in light of what will be. So I urge you all to begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Begin right now the eternal Sabbath, and it begins with knowing God as creator and then Jesus as savior. Trust in him. That's where it starts. For the forgiveness of your sins, and let the glory of God lead you to a life filled with worship, awe, and faithful obedience. Let's delight in the work and heart of God, for that's what this text is saying to us today. Do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy the things of God? Your true rest, what you are needing right now because you are tired, you are drained, and you're stressed and whatever it is will not come from removal of work or removal of responsibilities, but can only come when you throw yourself at the mercy seat of Christ. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we bless you, and we honor you. We thank you, Lord, and how you have used these six days to create all and, and how you've given us this one week with six days and the seventh day to remember all that. We thank you also for the amazing reminder that you are someone who is worthy of worship, worthy of honor as creator. And so today we just want to remember you. We want to remember all the good things that you have done. We want to glorify you as our creator. We want to adore you and worship you as our savior and redeemer. And Lord, yeah, sometimes we don't have all the questions or all the answers to the questions that we have about creation. Where it goes beyond our understanding. But what's more, I guess, unbelievable and amazing is that you would redeem us. A wretch like me. Someone who has made so many mistakes. And yet by your grace, you say, I save you not based on how good you are or how bad you are. I, ba- I save you based on how good I am. Who am I? And so, Lord, we can't completely fathom your power and your wisdom is way beyond us. But you fill us every single day with new mercies and with the richness of being able to know you through your word. So every day from this point on until we breathe our last, Father, would you remind us that you are God? that you are the creator of all things, but that you are also the redeemer of all things. So may we never forget, never forget, and may we glorify you for all that you've done, all by the virtue of Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for saving us. And so we offer up this little prayer to you. 
would you be magnified today? Hallelujah, praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, our God. Praise you, our Redeemer, our Savior. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you a moment now as we enter into the last portion of our service to pray your prayer, to get right with God, to know that there is no sin that God can't forgive. But as long as you repent, as you recognize not only the sinfulness of your heart, but you understand and recognize the gracious, forgiving love of God, come before him. Draw near to him right now. So take a moment and pray. And we'll go into our last song. Let's pray.